in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit first fell upon the apostles, the disciples, we are told in Acts that they proclaimed, they spoke of the wondrous works of God. That's the difference between grace and the law. The law talks about what I must do, what I should not do. It makes us self-conscious. And that's the point of the law, to bring that self-consciousness to the place of giving up, of looking for someone else to do what we never could. And so in the New Testament, they talked about the works of God. And the New Testament, God says, I will, I will. Several times there in the New Covenant in Hebrews, you read, I will give you a new heart. I will put my will in your heart. I will remember your sins no more. Don't you prefer? Doesn't it give you kind of a rest of soul to recognize that God says, I will, and no longer says, thou shalt? It does for me. Because the more I tried, thou shalt, thou shalt, (laughs) the more I failed. And the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And it goes to the glory of God and his son, Jesus Christ. Welcome to Rogue Grace. I like my show because I get to talk about grace. (laughs) This is Peter John. Glad you're tuned in. By the way, speaking of grace, my bro, Ben, introduced us to his new video. You can find it on YouTube. It's really cool. I had already seen it. And it's called Singler. And rightly so. After all, Singler now plays in the NBA. And so Ben talks about his experience in basketball, bringing it back to the work, the grace, and the glory of God. These videos my brother Ben is doing, along with Jeff Bates, is they're fantastic. They're pithy. And they are a lot of fun to watch. Better than just fun, though, because you can find fun all over YouTube, so to speak. But they bring you closer to the Lord. That's the best part of all. So check it out. Ben Corson, and it's called Singler. And for whatever it's worth, I highly recommend that. All right. Where is the sunshine? (laughs) March is always the most brutal month, in my opinion, here in the Rogue Valley. Because usually at the end of February, it teases us. You think it's summertime, or spring, I should say. And just when you get your flip-flops back on and your shorts on... It's like it's colder than ever. Colder than Christmas time. Even though the trees are blooming. I love living in Oregon, folks. This is the one thing I am not really too keen on. The weather in March. But. April showers. Then come May flowers, right? 
God is going to see us through. And some people even like, my daughter Sadie likes the rain. So I'm glad I moved her out of Orange County up to Oregon. (laughs) She really likes it up here when it rains. So I know some of you probably are the same. Cool. Either way. The Lord reigns. R-E-I-G-N-S. You like how I did that? We'll be right back. trust the sweetest frame but holy trust in Jesus name Welcome back to Rogue Grace here on this Monday morning. I was going to say this beautiful Monday morning. And it is beautiful when you consider we are headed to heaven and our sin is forgiven. Check it out. You know this scripture, perhaps Colossians chapter two. When God disarmed Satan, I'll read it to you that when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature God made you alive with Christ he forgave us all our sins having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them 
by the cross. I love, I, I don't know if you, you know this, but I love grace. <laughs> I know you do too. Because Jesus, we just read, went to the cross. He took the bad that he did not deserve. That today, by faith, we get the good that we don't deserve. I mean, everyone assumes or knows, right? Everyone knows that the if you do good, you get good. And if you do bad, you get bad. That's why it really doesn't take the Holy Spirit to preach the law. <laughs> because when you read, because he became bad, now you are good. Because he took the bad, now you get good. That takes the Holy Spirit to believe. And I just read to you from Colossians in the New Testament. And it says that Christ wiped out the handwriting that was against it, nailing it to the cross. That God did that through Christ. So it says that not only our sins, but it says the handwriting was nailed to the cross. So I, have you ever thought about that? I mean, we all as Christians believe, we understand, we praise the Lord for the fact that our sins have been nailed to the cross. Praise God for that. But have you considered that also the handwriting The handwriting that opposed you. The regulations we read. The written code we read. That was against us and stood opposed to us was nailed to the cross as well. That word, by the way, for handwriting is literally dogma. The dogma of the law has been nailed to the cross. Why? Because as you read Colossians, you find in the very next verse, as I read, the powers and authorities were disarmed. Do you see why? Do you see why the law, the handwriting, was it nailed to the cross? To disarm the devil. See, his, his weapon, his one valid weapon was the law. He could and would use this and he would, if you would whisper, so to speak, in our consciousness, keep it, keep the law, and you will be blessed knowing we could not keep the law. But now instead of saying, if I keep it, I will be blessed, we say, I already am blessed in Jesus Christ, so now I will keep it. <laughs> Boy, that defeats the devil right there. When we don't think that way, though, when we think if I keep it, then I am blessed, we put back into the devil's hands his favorite weapon, something that produces sin consciousness. Don't do that. Don't put a weapon back in his hands by thinking, by saying, even ever so subtly, if I keep the law, then I'm blessed. No, say, I am blessed, so I will keep the law. <laughs> Or Paul says in Romans, with the law comes knowledge of sin. You know, as a dad, I'm learning this. As a parent, I find my parenting to be much more blessed and effective. Not when I constantly am telling my daughters, do this, 
do that, do this, do that. So much as, listen, as saying to them, you already are this. You already are that. I find that to be much more effective. Now we read that through the cross, the finished work of the cross we read in Colossians, that the written code was canceled with its regulations, canceled. That which was standing opposed to us, he took away, nailing to the cross and disarmed the powers and the authorities, triumphing over them. That is beautiful, is it not? That the law has been fulfilled, but for me and you now it is canceled. Paul said something interesting in Romans. He said, I was alive without the law in Romans 7. But then the law came and killed me. The law revived and I died. I wonder, I'm just wondering out loud if he, if Paul, when he said I was alive without the law, was speaking of the time that no one was teaching him or had yet taught him the law. Maybe as a child, as a kiddo. Maybe. See, if you're wearing a beautiful white dress... Not dudes so much, ladies. You're not going to necessarily hang out on the beach. They did back in the 20s, but I'm talking about now. If you're wearing a beautiful white dress, but if you're wearing your Saturday morning clothes, no problem, right, going to the beach because you're already dirty. And so, too, I think people go to the beach of sin, as it were, because they're already feeling dirty. But when you know you have been robed in righteousness, it actually innately and effectively keeps you from compromise and sin. And so on the cross, we read in Colossians, Christ disarmed Satan by nailing the law to the cross. He stole his ammo. As I pointed out last week, the word, the name Satan means someone who prosecutes. A Satan, in fact, in the English language, back in the medieval times, was a kind of prosecutor. A Satan was, before the King James Version was written. Interesting they picked the word Satan. (laughs) It's good. It's true. It's what the New Testament And the old calls the prosecutor. And because you see, he says, Pete, look what you did. Look at you. You did this. You did that. Ten years ago. Five days ago. Three minutes ago. And you know what? He's a good prosecutor. He doesn't mess around. It's true. But now I can say to him, as it were, to my own conscience, don't look at me. He says, look at you. No, don't look at me. Look at Jesus. I remember when Job needed a daysman, right? A go-between. And Satan was messing with him, both his family, his body, 
So that's how it feels sometimes. Man, the enemy is raging against me like Job. And Job says, oh, I wish I had a daysman to stand between me and God. And now I can say, and you can say, we have that daysman, that mediator, our champion. So now he's not such a big devil. He's been stripped of his authority. He's been defeated. give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Up to this point the people to whom Jesus was speaking to were living up under the law of Moses and of God. 613 laws in totality in the Talmud. No, pardon me, the Talmud. Even on top of the 613 laws of the scriptures. They were heavy laden with rules and regulations. 
And Jesus says to them, I will give you rest. Where? In your soul. That's what we need. That's what he offers. Your soul. I will give you rest in the area of your mind and your emotions and your soul. I like how John, the apostle, stated it. May God bless you and prosper you even as your soul prospers, he writes. To the extent your soul prospers, your life prospers. So, a soul at rest is the soul that prospers. And he says, take my yoke. That's an object of work, right? Yet Jesus says you'll find rest. It simply means, yoked means, as you probably know, it means you go where Jesus goes. You eat what Jesus ate. You drink what Jesus drank, which in this instance, I would say is his word. You follow his directed activity, which means that even while you're working, you're resting. That's what Jesus gives to us. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, my father has been working until now to his disciples. You see, ever since Adam sinned, we read then, we have to come to the conclusion, God came out of his rest. Because it says God rested on the seventh day. Then Jesus says in John that my father has been working until now in John 11. So when Adam sinned, God had to, in a sense, come out of his rest and has been working for man's redemption, man's salvation, our salvation. He's been working. I love that. My father has been working until now. So Jesus is reminding us in those words, don't you dare feel as though everything depends on you. When you are working, then God is resting. But when you're resting, God is working. To this day, even, the Department of Agriculture here in the States, don't they condone, they propagate rotating the crops? In other words, let the land rest every seven years. We had to learn that the hard way in that Dust Bowl disaster back in the the 30s, right? The land needs rest. You need rest. Rest in the soul. Don't feel as though everything depends on you. Everything depends on Jesus Christ and the validity of his statement. It is finished.
share right now my personal experience with preaching the gospel, which means good news. And certain people's reaction to it, (laughs) not everyone and certainly not even the majority, but certain people in churches in whether in Southern California or in Southern Oregon, I've got it both places. And that is people get concerned. Sometimes to say the least, sometimes more than that, they get agitated with my preaching not because of the style that's a whole different subject or because of my skill set that's entirely different i mean i'm talking about because of the content the message that i share that you share when it's the good news that That news, as you know, is I'm more of a sinner than I have even begun to understand. But Christ is more of a savior than I've ever understood as well. (laughs) Both are true. People like the first one so often. Yep. We have to tell people what a sinner they are. Wait a minute. The law does that. That's what I've been preaching. It shows us how off the road we are, how off course we are. That's why I say it the way I do. Well, the law is good. It is good, but not good for you, not good for me. In and of itself as a means of salvation or righteousness. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. He says, if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, He says, such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Look at their masquerading. These false preachers and teachers that Paul is referring to, they're masquerading not as servants of wickedness, not as servants of lasciviousness, but servants of righteousness. They're using that as their cloak. They're using that as the means for their own uh, benefit. Just as Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Minds are too often corrupted in the church I was at in California, the church I'm at here in Oregon, 
and any church you will ever go to before Jesus Christ returns. Minds are corrupted without the simplicity of the gospel. That it's not about me or you. It's about him. It is that simple. Because the devil comes as an angel of light, masquerading. And there are those that masquerade in his power as messengers of righteousness. Not messengers of lasciviousness, but of righteousness. And the devil will say through them or into your own conscious, how can you? do this? How could you do this? more subtly? Maybe even how could I, we begin to conclude or think, ignore it. Christ is my righteousness, not my obedience to the law or the lack of it, but Christ's obedience to the law. And we read that the devil puts the veil on people's eyes Listen, your wife will not cover your eyes, right? You know this from experience when an ugly person walks by. (laughs) It's when a beautiful young lady walks by. So why would Satan blind our eyes if the gospel was just average? But the fact is it's so glorious and it shines so beautifully. He wants to cover our eyes, blind our eyes, And he'll even use the law because the law condemns the best of us. So in conclusion to this segment, I would say don't let people put a trip on you at your church because you talk about grace too much. You cannot talk about grace too much. And there's more that rises in the morning than the sun And more that shines in the night than just the moon It's more than just this fire here that keeps me warm In a shelter that is larger than this room And there's a loyalty that's deeper than mere sentiments And the music higher than the songs that I can sing The stuff of earth competes for the allegiance I owe only to the giver of all good things So if I stand, let me stand on the promise That you will pull me And if I can't let me fall on the grace that first brought me to you And if I sing, let me sing for the joy that is born in me these songs And if I weep, let it be as a man who is longing for his home Dances on the prairies than the wind And more that pulses in the ocean than the tide There's a love that is fiercer than the love between friends More gentle than a mother's when a baby's at her side And there's a loyalty that's deeper than mere sentiments And the music higher than the songs that I can sing stuff of earth competes for the allegiance I owe only to the giver of all good things So if I stand, let me stand on the promise That you will pull me through And if I can't let me fall on the grace First brought me to you And if I sing, let me sing for the joy 
that he's born to me these songs And if I weep, let it be as a man who is longing for his home And if I stand, let me stand on the promise that you will pull me through And if I can't, let me fall on the grace first brought me to you And if I sing, let me sing for the joy that is born in me these songs And if I weep, let it be as a man who is longing for his home And if I weep, let it be as a man out tonight for the Monday night Bible study with my bro Ben as he talks about mm, let me guess hope that's a good subject matter to have hope my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness never lose hope and if you find yourself losing it which we can life can do come on out tonight check out speaking of hope my brother's youtube that i mentioned earlier called singler you mean the basketball player exactly You'll love it. It's good stuff. Also, Wednesday night, we are we have just commenced. We've begun the book of Isaiah. Often referred to as the fifth gospel, the Old Testament gospel, with my father, John Corson. So come join us for that too. If you feel so led by the Holy Spirit. It is finished. Do you know that that was often written on the top of a bill after a debt was paid in full there in the first century in the Roman economic system? It is finished. Te telestai. Now, Jesus had spoken that, did he not? when he had breathed his last, when he had died on the cross. The Romans were known to crucify 500 people at a time in certain instances. Remember those old movies? Where there are people being crucified along the road. That comes from history, believe it or not. So to say it is finished when 500 people could die at a time, when there were two others beside him, when people were dying daily at the hand of the Romans on a cross, Jesus is saying something more than just I'm done or I died. He's saying something about his death. He is saying he paid a debt. I have given my life as a ransom for many. Jesus' final word, it is finished. I'm glad his final word, aren't you, wasn't strive without ceasing. As was the final words of Buddha. <laughs> it wasn't, come on, try harder. No, it's good news because it is a proclamation that something happened and that something is, it is finished. 
you know, to try to add on to that would be like tinkering with a masterpiece of artwork. For example, remember when some years ago, a few years ago now, George Lucas, the creator of Star Wars, he was constantly tinkering with it. When the videos would come out, this not the videos, look how old I am. The DVDs would come out, right? He was always tinkering with it, putting this scene in and that scene out and, and putting this animated character in it or whatever it might be. And it was only making it worse. Don't touch it, George Lucas. It's a masterpiece. Well, how much more? It is finished. Don't touch it. Don't take yourself too seriously. Trying to prove that you're worthy or you got your act together. God's not impressed. <laughs> when I take myself too serious, listen, this is my final word for the day. When I take myself too seriously, it shows it only means that I'm not taking the work of the cross seriously enough. God bless you. May I see you tonight in the sanctuary. Looking forward to it. May you be kept in the hand of the Lord. Strong upon you because you belong to him. God bless. <laughs>